Donna Anderson has held a variety of roles in the real estate and title industries until finding her place at title insurance underwriter DOMA. She said in her career, she's had her fair share of great and not so great managers. And this has helped her develop her own philosophy on being the best manager possible. Today, she's sharing with us the traits that make you the kind of manager that no one wants to leave. Take that great resignation. I'm Lindsay Gordon, and this is Title Talks. Donna, thank you so much for being on Title Talks and talking to us today um, about the topic of uh, management style. And it's all part of this bigger conversation about like retaining talent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you let us know a little bit about yourself? Sure. So first of all, on a personal level, I live in Ohio in a county that's known for one of the largest Amish settlements in the world. So I live kind of out in the middle of nowhere, which is awesome on a dirt road because I travel all the time for my job. So it's great to live in an area where I get a lot of peace and quiet. Secondly, um, professionally, I started in this industry in 1989 in a real estate office and worked my way through that office to become the assistant to the president. And I helped hire him, hire admin people and train them across the company And after that, we ended up doing a commercial real estate company together. So I did that as well and property management. And from there, I went to title and ended up being a part-time employee who within the early 2000s ended up hiring and training about 57 people and opened 16 joint ventures. So I did that for a long time and then went to work for selling the title production software that we used. And from there to working for a bank, and then the recession hit. The bank that I worked for, we just banked title companies. So uh, the recession hit, and I pushed through that for a couple of years, and then went into sales again, but relocated back to Ohio at the time. And it was that experience and all those years of varied experience that actually got me my current role. And my current role at DOMA is, I was hired eight and a half years ago to be the fixer. So using all of my vast experience in the in the industry i've pretty much done everything but mortgage i assist our agents so originally the role was for me to assist our agents across the country with uh, consulting process improvement anything that would make it easier for them to work with us and then over the time that has passed it's evolved into I oversee all of the onboarding of not only all our new clients, but also our new sales team members. So I get to meet everybody and I get to make sure that everybody has the best experience possible. So that's what I get to do. It's that's fun. cool. So you're kind of like yeah. between like, like people on your corporate sort of side and then also like agency support too. Correct. Yep. That's cool. So um, you're really well known in the industry as a speaker who talks about internal company things like recruiting and hiring, training and culture. Um, So like, how did you get into these topics and why are they things that you're so you clearly are passionate about? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I'm passionate about people. 
one of my motivating things in life is to encourage others and help them succeed. And that's something I've always felt very strongly about. And I'll just say this, especially women. I always think it's important to empower women in who they are and in the industry as well. So I started out when I mentioned that I managed about 57 people in my title career, I made a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of things that I look back on now and realize how differently I would do it if I were doing it again. And I wanted to be that kind of person that as a manager, people respected and liked working for. And also I wanted to make sure that I was always pouring as much into them as I could. And so because of that, I wanted to make sure that I did everything I could to learn to be the best manager I could be. I've had some good examples in the past and I've had some bad examples in the past. So I think it's important if I can encourage others to understand how to work with their team dynamic and how to be somebody that nobody ever wants to leave, that if I can share any information at all that helps on that, I would love every opportunity to do so. I absolutely love that. And I was exploring ideas for the um, title of this episode. And I, and I was, and I came across like, like building a culture that retains talent or building a culture that no one wants to leave, which is exactly that, which is really kind of fun. Um, so we're really talking about like adapting your management style. So like, uh, kind of talk about this concept, it, like in a nutshell, what's like the elevator pitch? Um, I would say this, when you're managing, it's really not about managing tasks or projects. It's about managing people. It's based in relationship. And if your people that you're managing understand that your primary goal is their success, then they are going to want to do everything they can to be the best employee they can. And if they know that you always have their back, my, my immediate supervisor now, I know always has my back. Does that mean I, I screw up never? No. It just means that if I do, I'm not afraid to go to them and let them know I screwed up or that I need help. And that's how I try to manage as well. I want my team to know that I always have their back. And even if they screwed up, they, they feel free to come to me and say, hey, I screwed up or I don't know what I'm doing. That's another big one for me. I feel that if you're an intimidating manager, or if they don't know that you always have their back, your team doesn't always want to let you know that they don't know what they don't know. And that's really key, I think, is that safety and security and knowing that the person that you're working for is always on your side. No, that's so good. I mean, making sure you have that culture where it is like open and honest and transparent rather than like secretive and guarded. And, you know, right. if you're like that, you can't adapt as quickly. Like you said, if mistakes happen, you can't address them quickly. You know, it's um, I'm sure, you know, way, way healthier to have have that sort of um, to really set the stage by being that uh, example uh, to your employees and like opening up that kind of culture. So I was curious, um, do you think most professionals in the title or otherwise have a good understanding of what their managerial style is? Like how can and how can they identify what it's like to work for them? <laughs> I would be surprised if most people do. 
I think that as far as managerial styles, like you can read all of the textbooks and you can read so many things about managing, but I think it boils down to your one way or the other. And that is you're either an insecure manager or you're a secure manager. And I have found over the years that you can always tell who is managing out of insecurity because they're typically going to micromanage you. They are not somebody you feel comfortable going to. And I think some of that's rooted in, I'm not so secure in who I am as this leader, and I need to make sure that I look good. A secure manager is somebody who's going to always be thinking about making their team look good. Because if your team looks good, you look good. So you're much more likely to encourage them to do the job that you trust them to do and believe that they're going to do it. And so I think that if people sit back and think about in my management, am I feeling secure or am I feeling insecure? Do I feel like I always have to prove myself to my team and to my superiors? Or am I able to just worry about making sure my team looks like the best team? Because that is the true sign of being a good manager. So I think your level of security determines how good of a manager you are. You had characterized sort of like a secure versus an insecure um, manager. Like, are there other like managerial styles or is that sort of how you would you would classify? Well, I think it classifies down to that. But then there are, you know, some people are not very communicative or very transparent or open. I think there are managers that keep themselves too distant and not as we said earlier, transparent to the people that are underneath of them, or they don't, they're unapproachable. So there are managers that are completely unapproachable that hold themselves at a higher level and not as a team player. And so I think they're more the ones that are going to be micromanaging. They're not going to trust that their team's going to do the right thing. And the team then doesn't feel as confident as they should. There are also managers that are too friendly. And that was the mistake I made when I was first managing. I wanted everybody to like me. And so I would make decisions based upon, you know, are they going to like this or not? Is this going to make them happy? Not necessarily always based in the best business decision, but on what I thought everybody, the group would want as a group. So I think it's, you can manage by worrying about what people think about you or just manage what you think is best. And there are managers that don't even want to hear any input or positive feedback or constructive feedback. And they, you know, there are times I think that the other manager that's an issue is when somebody has been promoted because they did a great job in their last job, but they have no idea how to lead. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are the managers that are put into a management position but don't know what to do. And those are some of the, I'm going to just say this, the worst managers. Yeah. Because A, they're going to be insecure because they don't know how to manage. And B, they're going to probably make a lot of mistakes 
but don't want to accept the constructive criticism for it because they were so amazing in their last role. They just assumed they'll be amazing in this. Yeah, role. it's hard to have that, you know, bad, bad feedback when you're so used to getting good feedback. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it's a tough position because, you know, especially in sales, if you're promoting people because they were amazing in sales, but now you're making them a manager. They don't, they don't necessarily know how to manage. They know how to manage themselves, but not other people. So, and then you have managers that are just strictly managers and not coaches. I mean, every manager should be a coach. You should be supporting your team and, and not just managing the day-to-day -day activities. Now on that note, in other, in other industries, I mean, if you work in a factory, like I used to when I was very young and you're on an assembly line, those kind of managers, they basically, that's their only job to make sure you're doing the work the way you're supposed to do it, you know, it, within a certain time frame. So there are different classifications. We'll be right back. We know you love Title Talks, and did you know that PropLogix produces another show for real estate professionals like you? It's called Four Stories, and it's a weekly show where we share the four biggest stories in real estate that help professionals and lay people alike keep a pulse on what's going on in the industry. If you're interested, listen in by visiting proplogix.com forward slash four dash stories or searching for four stories by PropLogix wherever you listen to your podcasts. PropLogix brings you this podcast because we truly want to help. By providing products and services that allow you more time to work on your business rather than just in it. Whether it's title searches, commercial searches, HOA research, and a whole lot more, we take away repetitive and time-consuming work so you can focus on growing your title company. PropLogix. Take some of those closing to-dos off your list and put them on ours. Now back to my interview with Donna. We talk about like adjusting your management style for who it is you're managing. How 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 can you be aware of like what the, the needs on your team are? I love this question. This is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. I, we have found it and, and I find it very helpful. So I take a couple of things into consideration for everyone on my team. And I'm also very transparent with them that I'm doing this. First of all, if you do not utilize some sort of personality test, I would highly recommend you do so. But you really want to do it after you've hired them, not before, because you can't discriminate based on any sort of personality test. And you would never want to do that anyway. We do a personality test pretty quickly after we hire, and it's a DISC profile. And that's the first thing I look at. So I have a couple of employees that are completely different on how I have to communicate to them, firstly, based on their personality style. So if somebody in, so for example, in a DISC profile, a high I person is very social and wants to chit chat. So you might want to chit chat with them for a few minutes before you start having a serious conversation. But if you have somebody that's a high D profile on the disc profile, they, they just want to get to the meat and bones of everything, but they also want to know that they're the best, that they're doing the best they can do. And it really makes them feel good to know that they are the best. And so you have to kind of navigate that. But then I also consider what generation they are. So if I, if you have somebody that's a baby boomer on your team, they're more likely going to want to pick up the phone and talk to you or sit down in person if you're in the same office. 
Whereas you're dealing with a Gen Xer, I mean, a, a millennial or Gen Z, you're better off slacking them or sending them a text because that is the better way for them to communicate. And so I try to take all of that into account when I'm working with my team. What's their generation and what's their personality style? And it, they all know that I do this now because I spoke about this at Springboard. And uh, one of my employees was in the session and she's like, oh, so now I understand what, you, what you're doing. But I do try to be very aware of that. And I think it's important to think about that when you're talking to people that not everybody's the same and they're not gonna receive everything the same way. Some people want recognition, some people don't. Some people would rather have a pay raise than get on social media and have a post about what an amazing employee they are. It all depends on their personality type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really good. So I'm curious to know, do you think that, because I identify as a millennial, I feel like I'm so similar to people younger than I am, which is probably mm -hmm. a disconnect for me. But would you say there's a difference between managing millennial and Gen Z? So I, you know, I thought about this for a little bit because I've talked and I'm doing a talk at one of our seminars next month about working with the different generations and Gen Z hadn't really factored in when I first started doing this about four years ago and talking about this issue, but now they are just barely in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And so I think, so first of all, millennials got a bad rap for people saying they were just lazy and playing games in their parents' basement, right? And I disagree with that. I have two millennial sons that work incredibly hard. I think the issue is I was raised by baby boomers who are one parent worked, one parent was at home. And then my generation, the Gen X, now think about it, we're the ones raising the millennials and the Gen Z we typically had two people working all the time. And so there were a lot of things that we didn't have as far as family time that you might've had for the baby boomers. So we would give our kids things, not necessarily me, but you know, a lot of our generation would just give things to our millennial children and not make them earn it. And so there became a, a sense of almost entitlement for a lot of millennials who were just handed things. And the biggest thing I saw was things that I had worked for for 50 years, they want at, the, at half my age, which I think is okay. There's nothing wrong with that if you can do it, but it's not supposed to be like handed to you. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like millennials have a, a good work ethic, but they've been, it's the Gen Xers fault for the ones that decided, you know, I just should have this and I don't have to work for it. Gen Z, the big difference I see then, now millennials I feel like are really big on relationship. It's probably the most accepting generation of all different types of people. I, I've seen that across the board with every millennial I've talked to. They're just very open to any, any person of any political, religious belief, anything, very open and accepting. I think that's very true of Gen Z as well. I think, but I've, if I were to classify millennials, I would say they're more relationship oriented and their job satisfaction is more tied to how it makes me feel mm -hmm. and do I feel valued and that I can participate and have a voice. I feel like Gen Z is our most tech savvy 
generation. I mean, when my five-year-old granddaughter knows that my son's posting the video he's taking of her on Snapchat and telling him not to, I know that, you know, this generation is so tech savvy. So I think what I've seen and the few that I've worked around or been with is they want options to be creative. And I think for those of us that are Gen Xers or older, we need to remember that when we bring them into our companies, they need to have an outlet to be creative. Give them an opportunity to give you an insight or a view into something you've been doing the same way for a long time and totally change it. Because I think they've got this mind of technology that we have never seen. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, I think my prediction is this is going to be the generation of a lot of new inventions. I really see that coming because if we're giving them the space to use that creativity, that we'll see amazing things. So don't discount their youth. Make Mm -hmm. sure they give them opportunities. Rather than trying to say, hey, smush them into this box. Hey, this is the way we've always done it. So you kind of have to fit into, you know, this mold. Um, Yeah. Allowing them that the sort of freedom to bring your agency forward potentially. Right. I mean, don't stick them. Like you said, if you stick them in their box, they're not going to stick around. They have to have freedom of expression. That That's my opinion, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm seeing in this generation. So what about if it's, it's like the reverse, you know, I mean, typically we think of someone who's a manager has been around for a while, who has, you know, uh, lots of experience and they're typically managing people who may be younger than they are. But if mm-hmm. it is the other way around, let's say it's, you know, uh, someone who, you know, went through all of this schooling and has this interest and has this technology background and has, you know, has found themselves in a position that they are managing people who are older than they are. Um, What are some, or or significantly older, potentially in some cases, what are some Mm -hmm. tips you might have um, for that dynamic? Great, great question. So first, first point, I have, I think, two or three points on this. The first point is, remember that not everybody's called to be a manager or a leader. So they might have no interest in it at all. So I think sometimes we think, hey, they're much older than me. Maybe they should be doing this job. But remember, not everybody wants to be in charge. Not everybody wants to manage other people. So that would be the first thing I think that you would think of. And the second thing is, you know, we're we're taught as we're younger to always respect our elders and honor them. And that can kind of mess with your head a little bit too, if you're working and you're managing somebody older than you. But you also have to remember that if you need to show them how to do something better or differently, that it's not dishonoring them or disrespecting them. That's actually showing them respect. Maybe nobody's been ever brave enough to say, hey, can I work with you on this? And I feel like if you're reaching out to somebody older than than you, then it's okay and not even okay. It's great if you are willing to step up to the plate and say, I want you to be better. I think you probably want to be better. Can I help you with this? And it's not any sort of, it's actually an honoring thing to do so. And um, when you have older people on your team that you're managing, they might have some insights and wisdom that you don't. I mean, sometimes they have more experience in a certain area than you do. And just because you're the manager doesn't mean that you need to know everything. 
the great thing is to say, hey, I want to use your experience in this matter. What would you do? How would you do this? Remember, they have experiences you don't have. And so instead of looking at it as a shortcoming on your part, look at it as how can I best utilize their skills and their experience? And in doing so, that also shows them honor and respect because they've been around longer than you. I actually, you brought up a point that I was thinking about. Um, when we talk about adjusting your managerial style, I think it's kind of cool because it allows for different, um, like, um, really more, I guess, awareness. It doesn't necessarily have to be like generational, right? It could be disability based. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, um, like with ADHD or, you know, dyslexia or things like that, where it's like, some things are just different because of different abilities, you know? Um, I don't know if that's something that you've ever talked about or heard about. I just thought like, that's kind of interesting to think about being just hyper aware as a manager of wh where and what the needs of your employees are. Right. And not, and it could be physical limitations and it could also be emotional limitations. So you might have somebody that's much more prone to going dark and being quiet. It doesn't always mean that there's something wrong with their job. And that sometimes can be the first thing that we jump to as an, as an assumption. And so getting to know them is, and how they function and, and having that space for them to explain themselves to you and what are their issues that they might share with you. Uh, and that's just a continual conversation. That's always just having that open line of communication to figure out, is this working or is this not? And if it's not, why not? I, if I have time, I'll give you a little example. So one of my newer employees last year, we had a couple of difficult moments and there was a certain circumstance where she got very upset with me and I was very upset with her, but she being a new employee said to me, I don't like your tone. I feel like you're sounding very angry with me. And I was shocked. I was like, that's, that's really nervy that she would say that to me as a new employee. And I said, well, let's, let's just end this call right now and come back to it. So we did. And I, that was probably the best thing I could have done in the moment. But then I sat and thought about it and I thought, what could I have done differently? Is there something I could have done differently? So we didn't escalate to this point. And then I realized something very practical I could have done differently, called her back and said, Hey, I want to own if I had done this, we could have we could have avoided this whole situation. But I didn't understand that this is the way that you work. I tried to reach her in three different ways because it was urgent. And she said, I can't do that either one way or you know, just one way. Don't keep doing texting, calling, emailing, just one way. You're overwhelming me. And I was like, huh, okay, this is good information for me to know. And then I thought, well, I need to work with that information. How do I now communicate with her if it's urgent? And then I came up with a solution and we've never had a problem since. But I didn't know if she hadn't been honest with me that I was overwhelming her by the way that I was trying to reach her, I never would have known. And um, so I appreciated her openness, but I also had to change how I communicated and how mm -hmm. I try to resolve situations based on that. So you have to always be, if something's, if there's any tension at all, I would say, how do I fix this? How, what's my part? 
And what am I not doing well to communicate with them? I have to ask, is there like, do you have any suggestions for how you retain or put, is this all in your head? Or is it like, do you keep like notes somewhere where you're kind of like, kind of remind yourself or is it really just practice and and it just, you, you remember, you know, like that this employee prefers this or that, you know, like what can someone who isn't used to doing this, like how can they get a good handle on it and keep, keep record, keep track of, of these important, like, you know, notes. So first thing I would say is we like, because we do use the disc profile, we have somebody on our team who's gotten certified in training on it. And we've three or four times now had classes on how to speak to somebody or how not to, what words not to use, what words to use for each different personality type. And I think it's, that I've been so ingrained in it, it now comes naturally to me. I also have other areas of my life where I work with people. So I have to be a very good listener and really pay attention to body language and what they say. But if you're not sure, I would, first of all, I would start with a personality test. Get, get that done, do some research on it. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly helpful. The second thing I do is when I have my one-on-ones with my team, um, when I had the new two newest that I got their personality test for their one-on-ones, I kept that in front of me on my screen. They didn't see it. So I had notes about, oh, remember, don't use these words, use these words. And it helped me. And I probably only needed it maybe the first two times with my new employees. And then I already, and then you get it. But it is very helpful to have those little tricks and things to just kind of have written down. This is how I need to communicate with this person. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we talked about a lot, um, but if you had like one key takeaway for people in management positions, what would that be? That takeaway would be to remember that you're dealing with people who have lives families, emotions, different characteristics, and that one size does not fit all. And to be really intentional about getting to know your team and intentional about letting them know how much you want them to be successful. If you do that and they believe you and you act it out, you will have people that will not want to leave you. So good. I love, I love what you have to say. I love what you're about, Donna. I'm so excited that we're going to be bringing this to our listeners and that you agreed to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Donna will be speaking at the American Land Title Association's annual Ulta One Conference in San Diego in October. For more information about her session on resetting work-life balance and helpful resources on talent management, visit the podcast show notes. Thanks for listening and happy closings.